Give Karen a hand. Karen, you're awesome. We we couldn't we couldn't do half this stuff without Karen. Hallelujah. Well, we're glad to have you here. I'm just going to kind of give you a rundown of how we're going to do this. Uh, I've been experimenting, not me, but I've been part of an experiment in Indianapolis at a conference we've been having three years in a row called the Presence Conference with Marvin Adams, who will be here next Thursday, just coming through at the G-Hop. So if you guys want to come, and Marvin's going to lead worship and give a little message, but he is one of the most amazing worship leaders in the in the world. So uh, if you guys want to get a taste of that next Thursday night. Uh, but Marvin's been leading this conference, and uh, we've been, like, doing this thing called tag team preaching. So he'll have, he'll, you know, instead of just having one speaker come up, he'll have, like, one speaker will go for 25 minutes, then the next one will go for 25, 30 minutes. And it's just like... You get to hear all these different flavors and see how the Lord blends it together. So with Gary out of town, and Gary said, Tom, I want you, I want you up there. I want you to I want you to do some teaching on the end time. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be doing just like 15, 20 minutes uh, every session before uh, Samuel comes in. I'll bring I'm gonna bring kind of an overview the way I've been seeing things, and and God's put a lot of these things on my heart since about the first of the year, just like we have got to get the church prepared for the things that are coming. And when I say prepared, I mean, first of all, like, like mentally and emotionally prepared for what's coming, and then spiritually ready, like storing up oil like the wise virgins, and then having the right heart and attitude uh, towards the things that are going to happen before he comes. And if you've heard uh, teaching other places about the end times or the coming of the Lord, this will probably be a little different, but I know Gary teaches on this, and uh, this is part of our church uh, core values. So I'm going to run through uh, tonight just a few verses on the, the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. <laughs> pretty excited about it, right? You know, it's like, well, Lord, come, but can you wait till I see the last episode of the show I'm watching right now? Because I don't want to miss It's a cliffhanger. I don't want to miss it. I got two friends here. I'm not going to name them, but uh, the first time we did the internship at the House of Prayer, we had training on Tuesday and Thursday night, and you only had to be at one of them, and, and, and they said, Tom, we couldn't decide whether we should come Tuesday night and miss American Idol or come Thursday night and miss Survival or whatever it was. I got my flipped around. I was like, okay, I get it. I mean, that was like 10 years ago. Just, uh, And they're two of my favorite people, by the way, but it just, it just shows how hooked into the culture we are. So I'm talking about the Lord's return. Uh, and I just want to say this, you know, if we went back to the first century before Jesus came, it wouldn't have even been called the first century, right? Right? But if we would have lived back in those days before he came, the Jewish leaders in, the, in that early time were looking for the Messiah. We know that they were waiting for the Messiah to come, and there had been all kinds of prophecies about the coming Messiah, but what were they expecting? And this is really important because 
the lead the Jewish leaders were expecting one thing and they got something totally different and because they were expecting one thing they were deceived they were like brainwashed into thinking he's coming this way this is my expectation and when he came a different way they they could not they could not accept it they couldn't grasp it right what what were they expected they were they were expecting the Messiah out of Daniel 7. I'm going to read this, Daniel 7, starting at verse 9. This is what they were expecting to happen in their day because they were under the, under the, uh, you know, the boot of Rome. They saw, the, they saw the Roman leader as like kind of an antichrist-type figure or anti-God-type figure, but let me go ahead and read this. It says, as I look, this is Daniel's vision. Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Wow, they I mean, they are expecting this. Messiah. This is the Messiah. Daniel 7 Messiah. This is what they were looking for. Can you, can you see this? A river of fire was flowing coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I'm going to jump down two verses to verse 13. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. Keep that thought in mind. He saw him coming in the clouds. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Jewish leaders had this expectation in their day, right? And so this is what they're kind of expecting. They're waiting for this. And instead, how did Jesus come? What, what they really got was totally unexpected. I mean, look at how bizarre this must have seemed seemed to them. The Holy Spirit impregnates a virgin. The Messiah is born in a barn with angels appearing to some shepherds out on the hillside and wise men, shepherds and wise men come from distant lands to worship him. Two very old prophets at the Jewish temple, Anna and Simeon, recognized the Messiah and spoke over his life. You know this is the Christmas story. You've known this, you know, since you started Sunday school, right? Every child has taught this story. We accept the story because that's the way it happened. And you can find scriptural support for the way he came in minute detail. In other words, you could study out the way he came and find proof text for every single aspect of Christ's life, the way he did come. 
but the leaders weren't ready for it. Then, to top it all off, he was crucified in the most humiliating way imaginable. Do you understand? This is not what they were expecting. Jesus was rejected by the Jewish leaders because he appeared in a package they could not accept. You could say that they were brainwashed or almost like being hypnotized. They were almost like hypnotized. You get this vision in your mind of what's going to happen, and when something different happens, you can't believe it. Let me tell you a story. When my wife was pregnant with our youngest daughter, Margie, we, I mean, the, the uh, midwife kept telling her the whole time, it's going to be a boy. It's going to be a boy. It's going to be a boy. I mean, the, the, the heart rate's strong. Oh, well, this could be a strong boy. And of course, Louise, you know, it was, it was going to be a big kid. And, we're, and it's like, it's going to be a boy. It's going to be a boy. It's going to be a boy. Well, when the baby came out, I looked right, I was right there. I mean, I was standing right there. I looking right at the baby. And I'm like, it's a girl. So my son said, it's a boy. I'm like, no, it's a girl. He's, or I, I'm saying, no, it's a boy. He's saying, it's a girl. I'm saying, no, it's a boy. I'm looking right at, what was it, a girl or boy, honey? It was a girl. I'm saying it's a boy, and it was a girl. I was, like, hypnotized. I mean, I wasn't like they didn't swing the thing in front of my, you know, and put me out. But in a way, I was, like, hypnotized thinking it's going to be a boy. I mean, I love my, I love my girls. I mean, they're awesome uh, just every bit as much or more than my sons. Praise God. Who loves their daughters? I, all right. Uh, but I thought it was going to be a boy. You see what I mean? So even when it came out, even when she came, it was like, it took me how long, honey? Five, ten minutes at least before I could be convinced it really was a girl. Okay? So can you imagine these leaders? That's, that's kind of the picture I want you guys to see here. They were, they were like brainwashed. All their lives they heard about a Messiah coming. He's coming in the clouds with great power and majesty, and he's going to come and take dominion over the nations. And they're going to be part of this, you know, they're going to be part of his kingdom, and it's going to go forever, and it's going to be awesome. Okay? But because Jesus was not even formally trained to be a rabbi, and purposely did many of his well-known miracles on the Sabbath, he infuriated the Jewish leadership to the point where they were desperately looking for a way to kill him. Their, their knowledge of the scripture, though vast, was not mingled with the Spirit's revelation. The intellect without the Holy Spirit is worth nothing in, in spiritual things. And do you have that picture, Rob? And is like a pig in a nice suit. Picture? No picture. Okay. I knew he didn't have a picture, but if you could picture that. You know, all our intellect without the spirit, it's worthless. Jesus would rather have little children come who have a humble, hungry heart than wise men who have no room for him in their hearts, right? Right? 
So what Jesus are you expecting? What Jesus are you expecting? And I know in this church and in this, in this group, we pretty much know because we've been trained to know that the Lord is coming after trouble gets here. I'm going to be talking about that the next couple of days, but I just want to read a couple of verses more and then I'll close out and we'll have Brother Samuel here. The second coming of Jesus is really the most advertised event in world history. Since the time of the prophets and even back to the fall of man, the Lord has, the Lord has been like proclaimed, like he's coming. A Messiah is coming. Unlike anything the world has ever seen, when Jesus comes, it'll be a cataclysmic, an the very apocalypse of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's going to be, I mean, things are going to get to such a point where we will be so, like, desperate, we'll be crying out, come Lord Jesus. The church isn't there yet. I talked to a, a rich young man, well-off young man, a few years ago, and he said, I don't want the Lord to come back. I'm, I got it too good right now. You know, what are you expecting to happen? Okay, I'm going to read just a couple verses here. This is what Jesus said his return would be like in Matthew 24, starting at verse 29 said, immediately after, after the distress of those days, we're going to talk about those days in the next couple of days, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then all the peoples of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Why will they mourn? Because they were not prepared and they're going to give in to lies and be deceived at the time of his coming, before he comes, because they're expecting something else, okay? He will send his angels... He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. So he's going to, that's the rapture. He's going to gather us from the four winds. This event will not happen in secret, but instead it will be seen by all those who are still alive on the earth when he returns. It is this testimony that Jesus gives to his disciples in Matthew 24, that he repeats on the night he was betrayed that gives the Jewish leaders the evidence they need to have him crucified. So the very Jewish leaders we're speaking of in the beginning are the ones that he's speaking to now in this little portion I'm going to read out of Matthew 26. This is the night he was betrayed, starting at verse 63. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now remember what they were expecting. Jesus said, you have said so, but I say to you all, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. 
Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, he has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. They spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Jesus was sentenced to death for the very testimony that we must hold on to to have victory in the days of tribulation and great tribulation. This is the testimony of Jesus. When it talks about that in Revelation 19, the testimony of Jesus, it's talking about the legal testimony that Jesus gave about his return that got him crucified. That very thing that Jesus spoke to those men that got him crucified is the very thing that's going to have many of us crucified in the days to come. But the book of Revelation tells us over and over again to hold on to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is what it is right here. Okay? You guys following me? Without the testimony of Jesus' return, we have no hope exactly when we need it the most. If we are not holding on to this, this promise, then when things are the darkest and we need this the most, we're going to have no hope at all. When does Jesus return exactly? While we can't give you a day or time like some have foolishly tried to do, we will, we will know the season. There's a big difference between a day and time, like 10 o'clock Tuesday night, next week he's coming. We hear those kind of things. He's coming, 88 reasons, Jesus will come back in 88, right? And then someone was prophesying he was going to come back last September, and, there's, and they get all kinds of news for until it doesn't happen. We can't give a day or time, but in Matthew 24, 29 through 31, Jesus says he will come immediately after the distress of those days. He's going to come in that season after the great tribulation, and when I say season, there's a big difference between a season which lasts for a few months than taking a particular day. That's why Jesus said, only the Father knows the day and the hour. Why is that? I believe it has to do with our prayer effort and the great harvest. If the church is, I mean, he's, he's going to wait until every possible soul can be saved before he comes, okay? Do you understand that? We can't, dis we can't tell someone the day or time, but we, we can know the season because the Bible teaches us that, and we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm gonna just go through that in the next couple days. And it's the subject of the distress of those days which I wanna focus my teaching on for the remainder of the conference. So the little bits I have, I'm gonna, this is what I'm gonna be sharing on. We have Brother Samuel Whitfield with us now. Come on, Samuel. Let's give him a hand. Samuel's been part of the uh, Kansas City House of Prayer for 10 years. He's written, he said not to give him a big introduction, but I like him. He's such a humble guy. Wow. He's kind of like Bob Sorge. He doesn't say much. 